1 Corinthians 13. Have you found it? Mom's still working on it. There you go. Ask a question, get an answer. I love it. And uh, once you find that, just hold your place there and look up this way. And we are not going to be in 1 Corinthians 13 tonight. But you'll see why you're there in just a moment. <clears throat> The book of Corinthians, written to a church and a group of people in the city of Corinth. Corinth is a Greek city, a city of the Greece, Greek nation. And uh, it's a very important city. The word Corinth is what's called a transliterated word. There are some words that come right across the language. Our word baptize is one of those words. The Koine Greek word under baptize is baptizio. The word martyr is another one. It comes from the word martyrios. And there are a number of them like that come directly across. Corinth, if you were to see the word, it's Corinth. It's spelled differently, but that's what it is. And the word Corinth means ornamentation or an ornament. The reason why is because they were known for the beauty of their architecture and uh, they're a very artistic town and a lot of beauty to it. Another thing that Corinth had in its favor is that it's on um, uh, the Peloponnesus, which is the isthmus where the Greek peninsula attaches to the mainland. And Corinth had three usable seaports. Now, in that area, usable seaports are a rare thing because of the rocky shores and that sort of thing. And they had three seaports, which meant a lot of commerce coming through. Think of our port cities. Houston's actually a port city, believe it or not. Come in Galveston and blow there. Um, um, New York, obviously, is the the one you would think of first in our country. And uh, some of our port cities that have... uh, uh, this ships can get in there, so a lot of commerce comes through. Also, a lot of um, education, a lot of things from different civilizations and that. And so the Corinthians were very well-educated people. Uh, they prided themselves on their, uh, uh, their education. They prided themselves on their artwork and these sort of things. It was also a very wicked city morally. It wasn't the harsh base type of stuff but it was sensuality and immorality of a more refined nature. And uh, Aphrodite was there. That was the worship of her, which was a, a fertility goddess, an unspeakable uh, wrong being done in, in these things. And there were other, th- other things that they were a very sensual people. And uh, Corinth had a major place in Greece and, and as far as a leading city and uh, lost some of its ascendancy during the Peloponnesian Wars in about 450, 440 B.C. in that region where they ran for about 40 years. And uh, lost some of its ascendancy because they didn't get into the battle completely like Sparta did or Athens. Part of the reason they didn't, they had too much to lose. They had had wealth. And so they just didn't really get into trying to be the dominant city-state, as it were, when those things were going on. In... 146 B.C., Mummius, who was a, a leader in the Roman Empire, 
just took that city out. They uh, overcame it. They they took uh, the artwork and the things to uh, uh, to Rome, and they uh, uh, they sacked Athens and also uh, Corinth and that. And Corinth really went down to a second-rate type city for about a hundred years. In 46 BC, Julius Caesar decided to reestablish Corinth. And uh, he did so, and it immediately grew tremendously quickly because of its natural attributes of the, of the ports and those sort of things. At the time of the New Testament, when we are going to be reading about here in the Corinthian church, it had a place of dominance, it had a place of uh, great influence, but it was very sensual, it was very worldly. It was sort of the sin city of, of Greece in many ways. And uh, so when you read First and Second Corinthians, you're reading about a mostly Gentile church. Paul had went to Corinth. He met Aquila and Priscilla there. And the reason they were there is because the Roman Emperor Claudius, uh, Claudius Caesar had expelled all the Jews from Rome. And Aquila and Priscilla, who end up being an integral part and involved with Paul's ministry from that point forward, and who were used of God to help instruct the great preacher Apollos, um, they were tent makers. They, had, they were people who were business people. And Paul stayed at Corinth a long time for Paul. He didn't stay in places a long time. That's not what he did. He didn't pastor the churches. He oversaw the churches, established them, and that sort of thing. Um, but he was in Corinth, the Bible tells us, for one year and six months. Eighteen months was a long time for Paul to be in one place until he finally ended up in Rome, but he was a house prisoner there and that sort of thing. He had sought to go back to Thessalonica according to the Scripture, and then the Lord sent him a vision and said, Paul, fear not to stay in the city. Uh, I, I am with thee that no man will set upon thee to hurt thee. For I have much people in this city. Well, Paul had been drawn to Corinth because there was a large Jewish community, but they ended up rejecting him. And in fact, it was there really that Paul, the apostle of the Gentiles, began to focus his ministry on the Gentiles mainly. And uh, having said to the, the Jews, having seen you have judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, lo, I turn to the Gentiles. And so the Corinthian church had Jewish people in it, but it was one of the first majorly, not the first, but one of the first majorly Gentile churches that was of any size. In the books of 1st and 2nd Corinthians, when you go through them, you will find almost everything in the church having to be addressed or fixed at one time or another. These were essential, carnal people. However, this is worth note, the word rebel or rebellion or any form of that word does not show up in either of the two books of Corinthians. They were not a rebellious people who said, no, we don't want the Word of God. No, we won't do what God said. They were a fleshly people who had to learn not to live after the flesh, but after God. And when you read First and Second Corinthians, you will see a progression as they grow in their Christian life. Of course, we know at the beginning of 1 Corinthians, Paul said that he couldn't feed them with meat. He said, I have to feed you with milk as babes. He said, you can't handle meat. He said, you're, you're, you're living as carnal people. You're, li you're living like the unsaved. And, uh, and so they had to get so many different things right. It's interesting though that the crowning um, attribute for a Christian is charity. The Bible says, let all thy things be done with charity. Charity is called the bond of perfectness. 
as far as believers go. And it was to the church at Corinth that God, through the Apostle Paul, sent a letter or an epistle and gave us 1 Corinthians 13, explaining charity. He said, well, preach, that's pretty neat. We're going to study 1 Corinthians 13. No, we're not. Now, lest you think I have traveled down a highway and exited on a dirt road, <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> I was going to begin us in 1 Corinthians 13 tonight. Then something happened. As I was studying 1 Corinthians 13, I became convinced by the Scripture itself I had to start back in 1 Corinthians 12. And that was the only way we were going to see in context what God wants to do. And, and there are a lot of things I learned within the first two verses of 1 Corinthians 13 that had heretofore not been clear to me. And they tie back into 1 Corinthians 12. And so tonight, verse 31 is our main pivot verse that's going to end up taking us from 1 Corinthians 12 to 1 Corinthians 13. And don't worry, I'm not trying to do both tonight. And in verse 31, it says, But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way. By the way, at the end of 1 Corinthians 13, there abided three things. You know what they are? Faith, hope. Those are two mighty important things, aren't they? And what's the third one? What's the greatest? It's interesting. Do you know what actually remains of the city of Corinth now? Seven columns to part of what had been a Doric temple. That's the only thing that remains. Without digging to find it. Isn't that something? And all its cultural and palatial beauty and the splendor of the ancient world is under so much dirt. And yet charity and those things sent to those believers continue on. And by the way, interesting thing. It says in Corinthians... Brethren, you see your calling. Not many noble. Not many mighty. Not many strong after the flesh are called. What's he talking about? He's talking about the people of the church at Corinth. They weren't the aristocracy of Corinth. Now, to be sure, the gospel has reached people who would be considered aristocracy. Later on, Paul would talk about people in Caesar's own household being converted. But the common people have always heard Christ gladly. And so that these things in mind, let me read to you something the way I've written it and uh, to begin tonight with this message on a more excellent way. Uh, and uh, actually, I would call it the need of a more excellent way. That, that theme, a more excellent way, may show up more than one message, but the need of a more excellent way. And I want you to catch this. I started to bring a message from 1 Corinthians 13 on truths regarding charity. Study and meditation of this chapter made me realize it begins with thorough warnings of gifts without charity. Verses 1 and 2 and 3. So 1 Corinthians 13 starts out with warnings. And it warns about gifts without charity. The last verse in chapter 12 points to chapter 13 and thus charity as a more excellent way. Evidence of the need of a more excellent way is the sad fact that the Corinthians' gift-seeking, which is what they're doing in chapter 12, the, the Corinthians' gift-seeking, I'm not talking about they wanted something for Christmas, I'm talking about they wanted a gift to serve the Lord, led to the 
um, the, the Corinthians to prideful contention, which is what gifts do without charity. A more excellent way takes us beyond gift-seeking for the gift's sake and shows us the reason why God wants us to have the gifts of the Spirit and what He wants us to do. So go back and we're going to begin in 1 Corinthians 12. I figured if you were at 13, you could see there was a transition. And I don't know if you've ever thought about that before, the fact that those first three or four verses in 1 Corinthians 13 start with warnings that involve gifts of the Spirit. And certainly... When you look at the end of 12, it says uh, there, um, verse 31, covet earnestly the best gifts. He said, I want you to want the gifts of God. But I'll show you a more excellent way. And then he warns and says, if you have the gifts without this more excellent way, here's what's going to happen. God empowers His people to do His work. Do you, do you know what the number one type of work that a man who, uh, for any reason, and I'm not painting with a broad brush saying they're all evil that do it, but for any, a man for any reason, a true, a true preacher of God, not just somebody who aspired to the position, but somebody who had the mark of God on him for preaching and for pastoring, do you know what the number one type of job is that they do when they, when they step out of pastoring? Pardon? You're very specific with it, but it's sales. And it's almost always a sales management combination and they excel at it. Why? Because they're using a gifting that God gave them to profit the, the, the people of God and that gifting still works. If someone was going to be a speaker and God made them to be able to speak and apt to teach so that they could lead the congregation of God towards God, that gift, unless, unless there's a judgment situation, I don't enter into that. That's God's business. But unless something like that happens, they still have that gift of speaking even if they're not using it towards the church. I believe we're accountable for what we use our gifts for. Gifts of administration. Capacity to organize things. God wants somebody to use that. And by the way, you're allowed to profit from your gift. Do you know that? We're going to see it in a minute. And so someone with that gift of administration may do well in certain business because of it, but they're not supposed to just make money by it. They're also supposed to use it for the Lord's work because that's it's given. But they're allowed their profit from it. Aquila and Priscilla did well as tent makers, but they were constantly profiting the Lord's work with what they did. And so let's look at 1 Corinthians 12 and let's understand why there's a more excellent way. And we'll learn a lot from our brothers and sisters now in heaven that we're at a church in Corinth, a city which is now just history with nothing but seven columns where it used to stand in some archaeological digs. Uh, but uh, now, now these folks are in heaven that knew the Lord. And here's what they were taught and here's what we're taught along the way. Let's look in ver- chapter 12 and verse 1. He says, Now concerning spiritual gifts. Okay, so he comes to this issue with this church. Were they a rebellious church? No. Were they a carnal church? Oh, yeah. Michael, uh, help me, I just lost the last name. Missionary to Bolivia for years. He's home with the Lord now. Um, how in the world did I forget his last name? I see him, but he's not telling me. He's not wearing a name tag. Um, we supported him for years. Um, Robinson. 
Uh, Brother Robinson, yeah, Brother Michael Robinson. He, uh, uh, because we always got along fabulously. I remember him showing me pictures of the church he started in Bolivia and talking to me about different folks. And he had that honest love and affection that a man who's shepherding the people ought to have. And I was enjoying listening to him. And he was talking about the struggle with this or struggle with that and what the culture was like they were coming out of him. And he just said, and it, was, it wasn't uh, like that. It was, huh. it's kind of almost like someone does, a little child that's a little ditzy and they're like, huh. But they're mine. Um, but he said, my church. He said, they're so carnal, but I love them. And uh, <laughs> I never got that because he did. He wasn't happy to leave them that way. He was teaching them the Word of God. But uh, there was so much they had to learn. That's kind of how the Corinthians were. And uh, he said, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. He said, I want you to learn about them. You know that you were Gentiles. Isn't that interesting? You were Gentiles. He says your classification's changed here. Carried away unto these dumb idols, even as you were led. I think he beats you on the bush, doesn't he? <laughs> Remember that you're a Gentile? You follow these dumb idols? I mean, he's talking to him. As you were led, you know, that's what you've been taught. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed. He said, I'm going to tell you. A baseline ain't a difference in some things here. And no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. He says, I can tell God's working on somebody or working in somebody according to the situation. Now notice this. It's interesting to me the way it's structured. Now there are diversities of gifts. So there are different gifts. And I want you to be thinking again, the gift is a God-given ability to do something or be something that we're supposed to be. There are diversities of gifts, but the same what? There, okay? That's the Holy Spirit. Now watch how, it's, watch how it matches the, the uh, triune God here. Diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. So when he talks about the different gifts given, he mentions the Holy Spirit of God who was given as the gift from the Father, and he says He's a gift giver. It is the Holy Spirit that dwells inside you which gives you these gifts. Alright, so watch what happens with this. There are diversities of gifts with the same Spirit. And there are differences of, what's the word? The, the working and the application of these gifts. The organizational structure of it. But the same what? Lord. And, and, and you're going to see the description of God. You have the Spirit. You have the Lord. I believe that matches Jesus there. You have the structure of it. He gives the structure to it. The Spirit's given you the gift. And the Lord also shows you how to use this gift, what you're supposed to do with it, and how you're supposed to go forward with it. And there are uh, diversities of operations, which is interesting, which is the overall strategic thinking of how everything comes together in the big picture. There are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. So he said, Corinthians, you need to know this. You need to know you have different gifts. Each of you do. Look at this. You could say that to Lighthouse Baptist right now. You have different gifts. You have different abilities. It's amazing to me how much friction comes between God's children because of God's children expecting others to conform to what their strengths are. And it's, it's, it's just a complete error to do so. We have different abilities, different gifts with it. Um, verse 6, and there, or verse 7 rather, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal. And so he said, God gives this to you so you can profit. You can be profitable unto the Lord, 
profitable unto his work. It profits you if you will learn how to use it for the Lord. And so he says to be profitable with all. For to one is given by the Spirit. By the way, I'm not my purpose of the message tonight, and I'm not going in there into trying to define what each of these things are. If you want to study on them, I encourage any study you do into the Word. I encourage your study into the Word, not find somebody's book and take off on it. And then read your Word through the prism of that book. But read the, read the Word about it. Let the Holy Spirit illuminate you on it and, and find out what's going about. For to one is given by the Spirit the Word of Wisdom. So that's a gift. It doesn't mean other people are without wisdom, but He has the Word of Wisdom. He can help people with it. it has a way of doing it. To us, given the word of wisdom, you say, can a person have more than one gift? Yes, there are, are, it's not unusual for people to be, uh, have more than one gift. Um, in fact, I think it matches very much Jesus' teaching in the parable of the talents that, uh, that their Lord gave them to every man as was his several ability. It would have been unjust to take the man that, that, that his Lord gave him one talent, and the talent was a weight measurement of money, but he gave him that much business to take care of and that was completely different than the one that had five. Why? Because his Lord knew that this man was equipped for five and this man was equipped for one. That did not make this one more valuable or that one more valuable. Remember the one with two? And when the one with five used it as he should to his full ability for the Lord, he was rewarded. When the one with two used it to his full ability for the Lord, he received the same reward. But the one that took his Lord's money his Lord's money and hid it and then tried to talk spiritual about it. He's the only guy who did that jive talk, okay? When he did that, <laughs> boy, this is this mess up our, 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 uh, our present socialist leaders. They took away from the one and gave it to the one who ended up with 10. They like that for reverse welfare. Um, did it. So he did. He said, hey, you aren't using that. I'm going to give somebody to get something done. Now watch this. That matches in here what this thing talks about. That do you know it would have been cruel, it would have been unjust to give the five one talent? So we would have felt insulted. Feelings aside, why would you do that as a businessman? Why would you do that if you had a businessman? A friend of mine, Bob Marshall, I was in college with. Uh, produced almost a million dollars worth of sales for our roofing company last year that I was working at the roofing company. He is not somebody you put out sweeping the yard. He started there and, and prospered that. You don't take a guy who can produce that kind of sales and put him doing something besides producing that kind of revenue. So he's general manager and then over sales with that. Do you see what I'm saying? It would have been, uh, the, the owner of the company would have been a dimwit to take him and say, I'm going to make a truck driver out of you. You say, well, well, is something wrong with truck driver? No. But you got a guy who can produce that kind of sales. Don't have him drive a truck, have him selling. We had a fellow named Ron, and uh, Ron was an excellent driver, man. He, he got the things there on time, and that's amazing through Chicago traffic, and got all those sales, you know, the sales that involved our direct deliveries out there and we needed Ron to be a truck driver. You know, Ron Ron was about as much a people person as this is. He didn't like people, didn't want to be around people. Probably couldn't sell water to a man who was dying of thirst. I mean he just that wasn't him. It would be cruel to take you know, switch those two. Now, you'd be a doofus as an owner if you did that. 
Well, the Lord knows what He's doing. And so it isn't this one's more valuable and that one's more valuable. It's They have different reasons for it. And God's going to show us this in connection with our body. I am glad. I am very, very glad. Uh, j- just to say tonight, I am glad that my forearm muscles are not the same size as my, as my quads are on my leg. I'd have to change from cycling to some other sport, I guarantee you. Either that or I'd look like Popeye. Every time I shook your hand, you'd be going to the emergency room. <laughs> look at this, what happens with it. And I'm not being silly with you. I'm showing you, and, and you're going to see that I'm right in line with what it's talking about here. Now let's go on to this. Um, verse 8 again, For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, and uh, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. It's the same Spirit that gives it. To another, faith by the same Spirit. And you understand, we have faith in Christ, but there are some people, uh, they take steps and you go, well, why? The Lord said, and I've given them a measure of this that's unreal so that they can show what faith is. And uh, it's just it's fascinating to watch it. And uh, to another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, the gifts of healing. To another, watch what happens with that. Uh, uh, by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, the uh, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. Some people are very good at that. They can tell what they're looking at and, and tell what they're coming up against. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. Those of you who were in the men's meeting when we had uh, uh, Brother Fennel here on that the, the Worldview Translation Committee that's working on, on the, uh, uh, the different uh, Bibles and stuff. They have one man there who's conversant in 33 languages. Hello? <laughs> That's incredible. Robert Dick Wilson, who was in the King James Translating Committee, had over 52 languages they said he was fluent in. In all aspects. Does anybody here want to confess you don't have that gear? Guess who God gave that to in these two instances? Men who would be principal people in getting His Word into language groups that don't have His Word. You might think that God helped design a vessel that could do something for him. Aren't you glad these people yielded? I hope you're yielded so God can use you as a vessel to do what He wants you to do. It'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? And so, it talks about these and talks about these different things. Some of these at different times. Some of these for different situations. Um, so another discerning spirits, another diverse kinds of tongues, another the interpretation of tongues. There are people who can. Not everybody interpreting is a different thing. And uh, and uh, for instance, when I preached in Haiti, Brother Biz could interpret what I was saying and preach it fluently. We were blessed in that we have the same type of delivery. But that's a tough thing to hear in one language and get it out to another language with that. And so being able to do this and tell them what's going on with that. But all these, verse 11, worketh that one and selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. And that's the same type of language. That's why I brought up the uh, uh, parable that Jesus gave. That's the same type of language about the, the Lord giving to the different ones his talent there. He's dividing. Why? God's doing this. Are you getting this? Listen, this is real stuff I watch people struggle with. They worry, and, and I'll get to this in a moment, because they don't... I'm not talking about the common faith. 
We have one common salvation in Christ. We have the same book, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. But we're talking about the day-by-day operation, what you do well or what you don't do well, what you have a capacity for. Some people think if they can't publicly speak, they can't be used of the Lord. Some people think if they can't work with kids, they can't be used of the Lord. Some people think if teenagers and adults scare them to death, they can't be used of the Lord. Some people think if they have to, you know, they, they figure the Lord must not be able to use them because the thought of even getting in front of people terrifies them. Other people think that they, um, that they can't be used of the Lord because the thought of trying to organize things and put together a schedule and who's doing what and when just makes their brain hurt and they don't want to be a part of it. Well, the fact is that God has different uses for different parts of the body. And He's dividing severally as He will. Do you know I'm a preacher of the Gospel? Ultimately? Because God wanted me to be. And he equipped me for that. I didn't look up and say, oh, man, I want to get in front of everybody talk. In fact, I did not find it comfortable to talk in front of people until I got called to preach. The semester after I got called to preach in public high school, I had speech class. Oh, man, was that fun. And I didn't even know where that was coming from. But it was, there was a calling. By the way, it's my saving in that speech class because I gave the gospel and was told I couldn't afterwards, but I had already done. And they can't make you stop doing what you already did. So we were good. Amen. And I screamed, infringing on my, relig- my sincerely held religious convictions. I really did. I knew the language. And they went, ah, and left me alone. So that was good. Um, lot, lots of fun back then. But what happens? The Spirit's doing that. Verse 12, look at it, for as the body. Remember, we're called the body of Christ. What's a body for? Okay, suppose we just had my brain. Ready? My brain was in a little glass jar. And it had the thoughts that I'm thinking now and it wanted to do the things it's thinking now. Guess how much of it it could do if I didn't have a body? Zero. Guess if I had an injury where my body could no longer respond to the uh, to what was being sent from my brain. Guess how much of, I, of what I would want to accomplish I could accomplish. I could. Guess how much my body, what's the condition of my body if my brain ceases to function? It's called dead, right? 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 So, Christ is called our Head. He's not walking into your place of employment tomorrow. He's not attending your school. He's not visiting with your neighbors and your relatives. He's not shopping where you go. He's not physically going there. But He's your head. And we are supposed to be looking as His body, that which is used to do what He wants done in this world, to see what the head wants so that we can act accordingly. Very straightforward. And so we're the body. Let's see it. Verse 12. For as the body is one, is one body, and hath many members. You have different members of your body. And all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit, now watch this, you're going to read the word baptized. It has nothing to do with water in this verse at all. So our Church of Christ friends missed it, miss it completely in one of the verses which they do. 
because they teach uh, strict Church of Christ doctrine teaches a teaches a gospel that includes something besides just belief on Jesus Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. That has nothing to do with curse splash back here. That's scriptural. But this is talking about when you get saved, you're put into Christ. You belong to Him. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the head, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Unless you thought I was being a little silly with my illustrations early, I wasn't. I was just heading you where the Scripture's heading you with this. Now look what it says. And I'm going to give you a word here in just a moment. And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? I put this down. I put the word schism. You're going to see that. It shows up in the Scripture here, okay? The word schism, S-C-H-I-S-M. Schism is a fracture or divide. It's a split. Okay? It'd be funny. People will say we had a church split. They never say we had a church schism. That would be biblical, wouldn't it? <laughs> but, the, uh, um, but what is the thing of a schism? I put this down. I put a little statement by the side there. I put schism. In other words, the Corinthians were dealing with some fractures and you know, fussing and stuff. That's where the gifts were becoming a problem. That's why they needed a more excellent way, which was understanding that charity is what causes the gifts to work right. And I put down on the side, schism by inferiority. You used to have a church member, I don't know how many different times they said to me, well, I wish I had at least one gift. I wish I had at least one thing I could do. And actually, I believe they had three or four major things they could do. But they worried so much that they were not like, and they would say, well, I'm not like this one, and I can't do like that one. And no matter how many times I admonished them with the Scripture and even reproved them with the Scripture because what they were doing was unscriptural, comparing ourselves among ourselves were not wise, and told them it was not good, but because of that inferiority, because of that, that comparing, then they were of no use in the position they could have been. Because while they were moping around, missing church and fussing around about what they couldn't do, they were of no use to the body that they could have been if they had just done what they could do. You know, the Bible says you are rewarded even for giving water to someone who's thirsty that's serving the Lord. In other words, there's nothing that we do in the name of Christ that is not valuable to the work and to the body of Christ. Do you understand this? And so... Schism by inferiority. Many people separate themselves out because of inferiority. Well, and by the way, it gets very carnal sometimes. Well, I'm not as good looking as this one. Well, I can't sing like that one. Well, I don't have the type of personality they have. Did it ever occur to you? Some people think they're obnoxious. And beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Well, I just don't have. What do you mean you don't have? Well, let's get something serious right now. Did God create you or not? Did God redeem you? Then He's able to use you. There's men come through this pulpit who have done works 
the hem of the garment of their, their work I have never touched in the ministry. Well, I'm supposed to do. Well, sit back, suck my thumb because I've not had a worldwide outreach. Sit back, suck my thumb because I don't have the skills and the capacity some of these men do. Or should I shy away from having them around because they make me feel inferior because they're stronger than I am in these areas? Wouldn't that be ignorant? Foolish and even proud? Why not learn from them? Why not let it challenge me? Why not look at some of the heavy burdens they carry and thank God I don't have that? <laughs> I think you're going to get practical. <laughs> That's schism by inferiority. Let's be careful of that. Help your young people to understand they're precious to God. One way you do that is let them know they're precious to you. Tell them often you love them. Take time to actually look at them and talk to them. Let them know you care about them. You'll help with this a lot. You can start at an early age and do a lot of good, if you will. You really can. There's many a person in here whose children or adults are saying, yes, 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 do that, do that. Why? Because it's so right to do it. Then let's look at this here. Verse 17, if the whole body were I, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? In other words, something would be missing if everything was the same. But now, here's the crux of it, hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased Him. That's why I said to you earlier, it wasn't by no means any type of an arrogant statement. See, ultimately I'm preaching because God wants me to be. It's because I believe that verse. He sets us in the body as it hath pleased Him. That's what, that's what He did. The folly of wanting to be as someone else in giftings. Master knows what he wants done. The master knows what our abilities are, and he can set you as it pleases him. And by the way, if he if he if he sets you in obscurity, then know that the Lord can be served in obscurity as well as the light. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet one body. And I cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. What do we call it? And I understand in today's politically correct times, it's not as popular to be said, and I don't think it's, an, I don't think it's a demeaning statement. We call someone, they're crippled, they're handicapped in some way. They cannot function as they would function if all the body parts were working right. It infuriates me people try to act like it isn't a handicap. It doesn't mean it has to define your life and keep you from doing anything. But someone who's spending their life in a wheelchair needs to understand they're not up and running on their feet like somebody else is. And they will do more and accomplish more and be stronger in who they are if they take a realistic look at where they are and then say, okay, now within this circumstance, here's how I'm going to do the best I can. Oh man, this politically correct wickedness thinking is damaging to people. It's damaging to people. It tries to say everybody's the same. Or if you gave everybody the same opportunity, they'd accomplish the same things. They have never and will never. Isn't it so much better to understand that God's made us in certain ways 
and for us to find out what the Lord's doing in our life and, and, and please Him with what we have. And if those circumstances change, realize that our God doesn't. May God give us grace to understand this. And then, he says in verse 22, Nay, much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable on these, we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need. But God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for another. Now, isn't that interesting? It leads to the body taking care of itself in love. Now, watch this. Remember I told you earlier, schism by, schism by inferiority? Look back in verse 21. The eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head of the feet, I have no need of you. Earlier, the, the, the foot had said, I'm not the hands, I'm not part of the eye or part of the body or whatever. That was inferiority. When you come down to verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have need, no need of you. That's schism by arrogance. So on one side, you have the schism by inferiority saying, well, I'm not like so and so and I can't do it as well. And so it's looking at self and instead of what the Lord can do with what you have. And then the other one's arrogant. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm God's gift to the church. They sure are good for them to have me. Remember one man looking at me. Tell me what a great soul winner he was. He said, I've seen a lot of missionaries. And he said this right to my face. But not one of them can hold a hand, candle to me. Well, that doesn't make you throw up. You don't have a gag reflex. And so there you are. Remember, in verse 25, there should be no schism in the body. I don't know if you know this or not. It's not a lot of fun to dislocate something. I really like for all my body parts to stay where they're supposed to be. And uh, God doesn't want His body fracturing and schisming over this stuff. But that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. I put down a statement with that. Charity, catch this, Charity allows us to experience, not envy, the blessings that come to others. Charity allows us to experience, not envy, the blessings that come to others. Envy confines us to our own blessings and truthfully robs us of even these. An envious person it's the person who, when something good happens to somebody else, why does that happen to them? Why do they always get it? Why don't I ever? That's envy. It's a strong, wicked disease of the heart. Charity opens up so many opportunities to be blessed because if I'm charitable, I can be blessed if Brother Carpenter's blessed. I can be blessed if Miss Holly's blessed. I can be, I can be blessed uh, if Miss Elizabeth's blessed. If John's blessed, it can be a blessing to me. Man, if I'm lacking in charity, 
wonder why they got that. Well, I work as hard as he does. Why didn't I get that? And even if a blessing does come my way, it'll be tainted by that poison. May God give you wisdom and repentance if that's in you. And so what happens, he says, uh, he says there that uh, they care for one another. Um, verse 26 again, and whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ. We were made that way when we were baptized by His Spirit into His body. And members in particular, so you're part of the body as one, and your members in particular, you have something to contribute. And maybe you haven't found out what that is yet. Now, it's not crystal clear at first, and you may, you may be attracted to certain things, and you may see it doesn't work as well for you. You may think, man, I want to be a blessing. I think I'd like to work with kids and you help in a junior church. About two weeks later, you're pulling your hair out in there. It's probably a sign something needs to be done. <laughs> Verse 28, And God has set some in the church, first apostles. And this is by order and how He structured things because the apostles were giving forth the Word of God. We now have the completed written Word of God. We don't have any new Scripture being given. Somebody is saying they're giving it. They're not doing that by the Spirit of God. Secondarily, prophets. Thirdly, teachers. After that, miracles and gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. All these things come in. Are all apostles? The answer obviously is no. Are all prophets? Obviously no. Are all teachers? Obviously no. Are all workers of miracles? And there's groups that say, boy, you don't have this. You don't have the Spirit. It's a bunch of nonsense. And everybody does the same thing. Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? The answer obviously is no. Now look what it says. But covet earnestly the best gifts. In other words, you should want God to use you and be gifted not so you can be known and people applaud you. Hey, look at what a gifted person they are. But so that you can be of service to the body of Christ. Covered earnestly the best gifts. And then look at the end of verse 12. And yet, I show you a what? More excellent way. And so God willing, next week we'll go into the saying of the more excellent way and, and start exploring these things. And by the way, if you'll think on what I just gave you, you'll see those first three verses in 1 Corinthians 13 and uh, uh, dealing with the things of the warning of the gifts without the charity why that ends up happening. God gifts His people. But if we don't learn to combine that with charity, it ends up being divisive and prideful. And you either do this whole inferiority thing, well, I'm not as good as, I can't do anything, or you do this proud thing, well, I'll tell you what, I can better than that one is. I don't know why they're singing special. They should have let me. I could do as good a job preaching as they could. I don't know why they're teaching a class, and I'm not. Are you proud thing? Maybe God knows how badly you spiritually stink and don't want you in the position. Maybe the preacher does too. So let's, do, let's, let's be yielded to the Lord and see what God wants to do with us with this. Let me pray with you. All right, Father, thank you for your words tonight. Um, so much to learn about you. Pray your people will realize you've put a gift in them. And I pray you'll show them as they seek you that you'll show them exactly what you want them to do. 
things they can help with, how they can be used of you, their value to you, Lord. I pray you'll bless them with that. Thank you for the body. I pray that we'll learn to care for one another and, uh, and use what you give us for the betterment, Lord, of your work in this world. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.